Well, good morning, church. Welcome to our worship service this morning. It's so good to see you here. See the building rapidly filling up, so thanks for coming. And our purpose today in being here is to worship our great God that we serve and to give him, acknowledge his status and his importance in our lives. And also to hear from him, Pastor Tim will bring a word. But I hope and pray that as we sing the songs and as the service unfolds that you will find God speaking to you and that, that you will meet him this morning. So um, we're going to start our service by a toe-tapping number. God is good all the time. We're going to wake everybody up and get into the spirit of worshiping the Lord. So if you can, please stand up and let's worship the Lord together. <clears throat> God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. If you're walking through the His word is true, God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good, God is good all the time. We were sinners. So unworthy, still for us 
here this morning. I'm impressed that you're all here during a Packer game. So that's, I think the first time I've ever been part of a church service during a football game. So that's interesting. Like if you happen to like check your phone, you shouldn't do that, but you're going to check during the service and something good happens. If you want to be, just be really clear that something good happened, let me know. I'd appreciate it. <laughs> but don't, you know, don't check your phone. Whatever. <laughs> If you're, if you're new or visiting, my name is Pastor Tim. I'm the, I'm the pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, a couple of announcements to make you aware of this morning. One is that this Sunday we're starting our, our parenting um, small group during the Sunday school hour. So about 10.45 we'll start. We'll be over in the library. So if you're a parent at any stage of parenting, we'd like you to join us for that. Um, so we'll be over in the library starting around... 10.45 for that discussion. Um, the, the normal Sunday school hour, the cross-training that takes place in here, will still take place. It'll just look a little bit different for the next few weeks. This Sunday, Bill Miller is going to lead us in a time of prayer during that, um, that hour. We invite you to be here for that as well if you're not interested in a parenting study. A couple of other announcements. The so next Sunday, the 16th, um, the Ellen Woods will be joining us as part of our, our worship service. So many of you know them. They were sent out from the church a long time ago. They will be here to give a report about what's going on in their ministry. Um, so they will talk. And they also, they'll be here during the Sunday school hour next week as well. They'll have the whole hour to share and answer questions and talk more about what they're doing. So you'll hear them during the service next week, but then more fully you'll hear them during the Sunday school hour next week. So... So tonight, um, at 4 o'clock, there will be a hymn sing here that Eric will lead us in a, a hymn sing here at the church. So we invite you to be a part of that as well. So coming up next Saturday, there is a, a weird sound. 
So next Saturday, we will have a, a women's conference here at the church from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. So we invite you to be a part of that. Now, there are directions for signing up in, in your bulletin. Um, yeah, so we are, we're glad that you're here. Um, then Nate, your coach, you're going to come up. He's going to share a few things about another small group opportunity and also a little bit about um, an event that took place yesterday. Howdy. So as most of you are aware, um, yesterday was Pumpkin Fest, and for some odd reason, it always falls on the same day as our big half marathon race, which our church um, sponsors one of the aid stations, and it's actually probably, I would say, the most important one because it gets hit by both the 5K race and the half marathon. It's the only one that doubles up. So we are out there early, and we're out there late, and so it takes a lot of volunteers to help run that. Um, so I just want to say thank you to all of you that came out and helped with that. Um, it really, year after year, we hear good things about the race in general, but about our aid station, and um, people are very thankful for that. Um, so, so again, thank you, and and uh, and and yeah. So, um, and then I just want to, because I have the microphone, I get to do what I want now. Um, so we had a lot of people in our church who participated um, in, in a lot of different capacities, but um, I'll talk about some of our runners real quick. Um, so our youth definitely come out in large numbers, and I know we had the Welsh kids out there. I heard Sawyer beat his dad. So, yeah. Um, we had the Stoffers out there. I think, let's see, Erica, I think was, pr- were you second in your age group? Yeah. Um, we had and Melanie out there. Glenn ran the half marathon again. Um, speaking of half marathon, this guy right here set a new personal record in the half. Yeah. Um, Sophie was our overall winner for the 5K with the women. Nolan, um, some of you guys know him. Uh, he's an eighth grader. He actually won... Uh, the 5K overall um, for the guys. He beat me. So I, I told him yesterday he's only the third runner I've ever coached that has ever been able to beat me. So that's, that's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just had a, a lot of people out there. I know Janie ran the half, Glenn ran the half, you ran the half, and then a lot of 5K runners. Um, I think Adelia, was that her first? Yeah. So he, even some of the the younger ones definitely go out. So, um, great time again. Thank you for those of you who helped put it on. Um, it is again. I just hear lots of comments from people, both locally and people that traveled to to do the race. Um, they really appreciate how well uh, organized it is, how well run it is, the aid stations, everything. And this church has been a part of that since the very beginning. So, um, thank you guys. And then the second thing I've got is our Tolkien study group. Um, Because I'm coaching cross-country, we started a little later than uh, we did last year. Um, So for those of you who don't know, um, this is an opportunity for us to study the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, And the reason I I kind of picked on that was, one, he's a phenomenal writer. Um, 
and and two, he really I think points us to that which is good and is true and is beautiful. And so um, it's just an opportunity for us to study great literature and look at how that points us into um, into Christianity and the way we look at the world. And um, just I, I find it very uplifting. So last year we worked through the first book of Lord of the Rings, um, Fellowship. <laughs> All right, we got a fan out there. Um, so we worked through Fellowship of the Ring, first, first book. This year we're going to do Two Towers. Um, we are going to start on Monday, October 24th, and we'll meet at 6.30 p.m. And in the bulletin it says here at the church, we're actually going to move it back to our house, which I know is a little farther for some of you, a little closer for some of you, but um, just for me and my family, uh, it makes it a lot simpler if we just do it there. Um, so that's Monday, October 24th. That gives you some time if you didn't participate last year and you want to jump in with us to go ahead and read Fellowship of the Ring or reread it if it's been a while. Um, and then we'll start on Two Towers, um, which is the second book. Um, so if you have questions or you want to participate, come up and talk to me. Um, I'll get your email. That way I can kind of um, keep you in the loop and, and everything as we go. So thank you. Thank you, Nate. It's, it's Nate, thanks so many people who have served. I want to thank Nate as well and the rest of the race committee and people involved from our church and from just the community who put on that event. Like it's a great event for for me to run in for the community. It's just a blessing to the community. So thank you to all who had a hand in, in doing that. One more announcement. So if you parked this morning, you may have seen a newly leveled, flattened patch of land out front. Right? That's where... We're going to put a new swing set, and the hope is to install that next Saturday. Um, so next Saturday at 9 a.m., we're in need of some workers to help install that. So there will be a need to dig holes and to mix concrete. Um, and so if you are able to do that, we would love to have you come and help install that new swing set that we really think will bless our community and bless our the kids in our own church. If you have a wheelbarrow um, you were able to bring to that, that would also be helpful. And if you could let Bill Long know um, if you're going to be here, he'll kind of be heading that up. If you don't know how to contact Bill, you can let me know and I'll pass it along. But we are, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that go in and the way it will bless our community. So with that, would you pray with me as we continue in this time of worship this morning? Father, we thank you for the chance to gather together in this place. You have brought us, the body of Christ, the church together to worship you. Pray that you would, you would be with us, that you would be with the worship team, that you would draw us into a deep sense of worship this morning that you would be glorified, that our heart would cry out to bring you glory as we sing songs, as we hear your word, that our abiding, overarching desire would be to see you glorified. Father, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts this morning, that you would conform us more into the image of Christ and help us to see anew what an amazing God you are, what an incredible Savior Jesus is. Pray to God in Jesus' name. Amen.
So as we continue our worship this morning, I'm going to read a few snippets from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But let me just give you a little bit of background in terms of what I'm going to emphasize in it. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people believed that they were the chosen ones of God because God told them that that's what they were. Um, And they understood that to mean that he had no interest in any other peoples other than the Jewish people. And um, so they they believed that because God told them that, but they conveniently ignored the fact that God also said that it wasn't because they were any better than any other people. And in fact, if you read the Bible, it's amazing how many stories are kind of embarrassing. There were people just failed and did massive sins and and, uh, were a problem in in what God had, had in mind. But when Jesus came, he threw the door open to every, everyone. Um, it was no longer about who your ancestors were, but it was all about who you put your faith and your trust in. So the Apostle Paul was the one that Jesus tasked with the job of bringing this good news that God was opening up his kingdom to everyone. He was tasked to bring it to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. So let me read from Ephesians, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Turkey at the time. Uh, Turkey now, it wasn't Turkey at the time. And um, it was a house church there. And uh, let me just read you some, some uh, snippets of this verse that set up the next song that we're going to sing. This is Paul writing. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles, that's us, and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. And though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them, to us, in Christ. Um, Excuse me, I've lost my skipping around. So God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his, his, sorry, to display his wisdom in the rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authority in the heavenly places. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirits. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And here it is. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, just how long, how wide, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then... You will be made complete with all the fullness of the life and power that comes from God. So let's sing together. Stand if you can. And let's sing together about this great love. A love that reached out to us. You know, I, I have been recently understanding that until we understand just how God feels about sin. And if you want to know how God feels about sin, just read the Old Testament. 
It is loaded with things, people suffering consequences for their sin. And God treats all sins the same. You know, we kind of have a hierarchy. There's things that we would never do. But if until you see yourself the way God sees you, and that is as a sinner, you really can't understand just how great, how wide, how high and deep this love is that we celebrate. So let's let's sing together.
feel the shadows deepen Do you know that all the dark will stop the light from getting through We do Do you wish that you could see it all made new We do Is all creation growing Is all new creation coming? Is. is the glory of the Lord to be a light within our midst? Is. is it good that we remind ourselves of this?
we pray to that it's true that even though he's saying all creation is groaning, we are aware of and surrounded by brokenness everywhere. Even though all creation is groaning, we know and we have confidence that a new creation is also coming. A new creation that will be without pain, without suffering, without hurt. We look forward to that day and we thank you that Jesus came that even though we in our own power are unworthy to inherit that new creation, that you sent Jesus to be worthy in our place. So that our sins can be forgiven, we can be made right, and we can be considered worthy by you of inheriting that new creation. We thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you that he is worthy. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One thing I forgot to mention during announcements is that at the close of our service this morning, we will take communion. Um, And so, as part of Communion Sunday, we also take a a special benevolence offering. And so, at the door on your way out, there will be someone holding a tray that a benevolence offering can be placed in there. So that's an offering for just meeting the needs of people in our community. Um, and in this case, part of that offering, this coming week we'll make a, a contribution to the Evangelical Free Church's effort to provide relief in Florida, uh, coming out of uh, Hurricane Ian. And so part of that uh, offering, part of our benevolence fund, will go toward helping meet needs in Florida um, and so that'll be part of that as well. So again, benevolent offering will be in the trays at the door. Regular tithing offering can go in the, the boxes that are on on the back wall. So we can all know, we all are aware that the internet as a whole can be something of a dumpster fire, right? When it comes to what you can find online. Like, it, like the internet's just like a breeding ground of, of sin and divisiveness and bitterness and just it's not always a great place. But in the midst of that darkness, there's also these little slivers of light that make the internet worth going to sometimes. Right? And for me, one of those places, one of those slivers of light is a, is a website called xkcd.com, which describes itself as a webcomic of sarcasm, math, and language. It's basically a super nerdy comic strip, which is right up my alley. It's one of my one of my favorite comics that XKCD's ever done. Is it's this one, which is a twist on a conversation many parents have had with their kids. Right, so the parent says, "No, you can't go," and this kid says, "But all my friends." And the parent just cuts them off and says, "If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump too?" To which the kid replies, "Oh, geez, probably." Right. The parent replies, like, wait, what? Right? And the kid says, because if all my friends did, like, think about it. Which scenario is more likely? Right? What's, what's more likely? Every single person I know, many of them level-headed and afraid of heights, abruptly went crazy at the exact same time? Or that the bridge is on fire? Um, like, imagine reading this on CNN. Many fled their vehicles and jumped from the bridge. Those who stayed behind, dot, dot, dot. Like, is something good about to happen to those people? 
Maybe they'll find cookies? Like, like okay, you stay, I'm jumping. Right? And so it's a twist on the whole conversation that many parents have had about, like, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? Right? <laughs> And that whole, that whole argument that parents are making there is something that in Latin they call a, a reductio ad absurdum, right? which is it's an attempt to prove that an idea is invalid by showing that its logical consequence is absurd. Right? And so parents, in saying that, are trying to prove that all my friends are doing it is an invalid argument by showing that the logical conclusion that... It, that it's absurd that you come to the conclusion that all your, just because all your friends are doing something, you would do anything. Right? So it's the reductio ad absurdum. It's what it's called when you try to prove that a logical outcome of an argument is absurd. And so in today's passage, we see the Sadducees, they try to use a version of a reductio ad absurdum, an argument like that, to prove that the idea of the resurrection, of a bodily resurrection from the dead, is absurd. That's where we're, we're headed this morning. But before we do that, we should know a little bit about the Sadducees as a whole. Because up until this point in Luke, like we've seen Jesus have a lot of conflict with religious leaders. Right? But by and large, they've been with the Pharisees. Right? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are actually very different groups of people. Right? Oftentimes in my head, I just hear something that ends in sees, and I just think, oh yeah, religious leaders. Right? But the Pharisees and the Sadducees are actually very different. Right? So the, the Pharisees, they're the religious conservatives of their age. Right? They adhere to very strict moral codes. Right? They adhere to the Old Testament, but also then these oral traditions that go beyond what the Old Testament law required. And literally, like the Pharisees, they were very anti-Rome. Right? They, wanted, they wanted Rome out of Israel. They wanted to restore Israel to a, a king that's under a God-appointed king like back in the days of David. They wanted Rome gone. The Sadducees, on the other hand, right, they, were, they were more religiously liberal. Right? They accepted only the first five books of the Old Testament, so the Torah, the, the books of Moses. They thought only those five books were authoritative. And they had a special dislike for the oral traditions of the Pharisees. And so the Sadducees, because of that, resisted and rejected ideas like the existence of angelic beings. They rejected, significantly for this passage today, they rejected the reality of the resurrection. Right? They rejected a lot of the more supernatural elements of the Old Testament. Right? We kind of think of this idea that people would try to use rationality to reject the supernatural as a, a modern phenomenon. Right? But the, the Sadducees were doing it 2,000 years ago. Right? So additionally, like, in addition to being kind of religiously more liberal, the Sadducees were also a more elitist and high-class group. They were what one commentator called a priestly aristocracy. They were wealthy, and they were well-to-do, and they were often got that way because they worked in close partnership with Rome. Instead of, instead of bristling against Roman occupation like the Pharisees did, the Sadducees were kind of buddy-buddy with Rome. Like they, they, they tried to use Rome to carve out their own sphere of influence for themselves in partnership with Rome. So all I have to say, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, 
do not like each other. They're just seen in, in Act, 20, Act 23 that encapsulate this well. So in that in the passage, Paul is hauled before the Sanhedrin to be questioned. So the Sanhedrin is basically like the Jewish Supreme Court, and it's made up of both Sadducees and Pharisees. So Paul is standing before this mixed group of both Pharisees and Sadducees, and he says this. But then Paul, knowing that some of them are Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Because the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believe all these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. So that's how contentious this debate was, right? That the Pharisees and the Sadducees were so at each other's throat that they feared they were ready to like tear Paul apart over this debate. And again, like we think this like political divisiveness is something new, but it was happening two thousand years ago. And so then in Luke Luke twenty, then we're in our passage this morning, like Jesus is thrown into the middle of this debate. Right? So we're in Luke chapter twenty, looking at verses twenty seven through 40 this morning. We're going to read this passage together. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her, and in the same way the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. And so the Sadducees here, they're appealing to something, a command in the law found in Deuteronomy 25 called the Leveret marriage. The Deuteronomy 25 says that if a brother, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. So they're appealing to a well-established law from Deuteronomy that a brother should marry his, his brother's widow if he dies and she's childless. So the Sadducees look at the command. Right? And then they say, like, look, like the resurrection, like, it can't be real. Because if it was real, like, what would happen in this crazy situation? Like, what could, like, that doesn't make any sense. It's absurd. It can't be real. Like, surely God wouldn't let this kind of awkward situation take place in the resurrection. But Jesus replied to this question, and in his reply shows that right, the Sadducees fundamentally misunderstood what the resurrection would be like. So in verse 34, Jesus replies, the people of this age marry and are given a marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come 
and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calleth the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. So it's interesting here, right? There are plenty of places in the the whole Old Testament that Jesus could have gone to to show that the resurrection is a reality. So for example, maybe the clearest example is Daniel 12.2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. That's the resurrection, clearest day, Daniel 12.2. It's Old Testament. Jesus doesn't go there for the Sadducees. Instead, he, he chooses, in this case, to meet the Sadducees on their own terms by going to the book to the Bible they accept. Right? They only accept the Torah, they only accept the book of Moses. So he goes to the Torah to show that the resurrection is taught even in those books. And he does it by going to one of the most important passages for, for any Jew. He goes to the passage where where at the burning bush, God revealed his, his personal name to Moses. And Jesus points out to the Sadducees that at the burning bush, God says to Moses, right, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Right? Not, not I was the God of Abraham when he was alive. Not I was the God of Abraham before he died. But I am right now. Abraham's God and Isaac's God and Jacob's God. Right? Because they're, they're living. That's the implication there. So Jesus says this in verse 39. Some of the teachers of the law responded, Well said, teacher. And you just imagine, look at the Pharisees in the background. Like they hear Jesus say this. Like, yeah, you get him, Jesus. Like, well said, teacher. And no one dared ask him any more questions. So like the point, ultimately, of this passage, because he didn't get bogged down in the whole marriage thing, right? but the whole point of this passage, and really of the whole New Testament, is this. Right? That the, the resurrection is fundamental to our hope in a new age. Right? Without the resurrection, we have no reason for hope whatsoever. Right? Paul sums it up well in 1 Corinthians 15, when he writes, If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. And he he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. And a few verses later, he he concludes his thought by saying this. He says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, if the resurrection is not real, then enjoy this life to bet your ability because tomorrow we die and it's all over. Right? Like if there's no resurrection, like you better enjoy this life because this life is all you get. 
and the Sadducees are, are the living embodiment of that mindset. They're, they're pursuing wealth, and they're pursuing influence and status in this life at the expense of any concern for the next life. There's an important lesson then to be learned from the Sadducees. And that lesson is this. We will not cherish the resurrection if our hope is in this life. And it's really easy right, to, to place your hope in this life if you're wealthy and comfortable in this life. Right? That's one of the reasons that materialism is so dangerous. Like it focuses us and it causes us to cherish this life rather than longing for the next life. Right? It's really hard for those of us who are, who are comfortable in this life to say with Paul right, that to die is gain. Like, who needs eternal life, right? Who will long for eternal life in the resurrection if we get everything we want right now? And that's not to say, like, that wealth is bad in and of itself, but if you are wealthy and comfortable, then you need to be on guard that you don't become so enamored with this life that you lose your desire for the age to come. It's a thing to be cautious about and a warning to be aware of. On the other hand, like there, are, there are those of you here this morning who like, you've lived a hard life, or maybe you're, you're in an extremely hard season right now. And if that's you this morning, then like, I hope this passage is of great comfort to you. This, this passage promises that this life, the life we're living now, is not all that there is. The passage promises that whatever you're going through, whatever trials you're facing right now, there's coming a day when all those hardships will be no more. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin. There will be no more death. That's the, the promise of the resurrection. And I hope if you find yourself in the midst of deep trials and hardships right now, right, that you find that promise of the resurrection comforting this morning. And so, like, I think the question then for us to consider is this. Like, if you're here this morning, like, are you too satisfied with this life? Are you, are you too comfortable in this life? Is your primary goal of living now to make this life as good as it can possibly be? And if it is, like, you'll be hard-pressed to, to cherish the resurrection as your, your great source of hope. Like I'll just remind us, right, that this life that we live now, it's a, it's a, it's a vapor. This life is an eye blink. The, this life is a thimble full of water in the ocean of eternity. Don't make this life the end-all, be-all. Remember the parable of the rich man who, who said to himself, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Like Jesus replied to that man, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? Just urge you, right? don't be that fool. Don't be like the statue. Don't sell your soul for hope in this life. 
this life is brief. Instead, like we ought to cherish the hope that a new age is coming. It's the resurrection promises. And I just urge you, like put your hope in that life, not this one. But to do that, right, we have to have a, a right understanding of, of what that life is like. And that's, a, that's another problem the, the Sadducees had. They, they misunderstood at a fundamental level like what the new age would be like. And we will, we will not cherish the resurrection if we don't understand, if we misunderstand the new age. And the Sadducees' question about marriage in the resurrection shows that they don't fully grasp like, what the, the new age will be like. The Sadducees, the Sadducees assumed that, that the new age, the new life, the resurrection life would be just like this life, but longer. Right? Just like this life, but into eternity. Right? They assumed, for example, that people would still be and get married. But Jesus said, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. But the resurrection life, life in the new age, it's not just a continuation of this life into eternity. Right? It ushers in a whole new era. Like, yeah, there are, there are similarities. In fact, I would say that like, life in the resurrection, life in that new era will be far more similar to our life than like, common portrayals of angels playing harps on clouds or whatever. Right? Like, like, it'll be much more like this life than that. Right? But there will still be significant difference between this life and life in the new resurrection age. And one of those differences is that in the resurrection there will be no marriage. And for those of us who are, who are happily married, this can be a bit hard to swallow. Like, what do you mean I won't get to be married to my spouse in, in heaven? But if you, if you look through the Bible and you look at the purpose of marriage in the Bible, right? There's two primary purposes that stand out. We see the first purpose at the institution of the very first marriage when God tells Adam and Eve, like, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The one reason God gives us marriage is to produce offspring. But in the new era, the era of the resurrection, where there's no more death, there will be no more need for offspring to fill and replenish the earth. And the second great purpose of marriage in the Bible is what we see in Ephesians 5 when Paul writes, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives at their own bodies. He who loved his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So one of the purposes of marriage is that husbands and wives loving each other well is intended to be a picture of how Christ loves the church. Like ultimately, as Christians, we are part of the global church. The church is called the Bride of Christ. And in the resurrection, we will sit down at 
a meal with Jesus, and that meal is called like the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, and bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like in the resurrection, we will all sit down to this meal that is called at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In a little bit, we will take communion together. And one of the things that communion does for us is it causes us to look forward and to anticipate the day when we will sit down with Jesus at another meal at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The point being, like in eternity, we are the bride of Christ. We are married, as it were, to Christ. And any imperfect marriage on this earth is only intended to point us forward to the perfect love with which Jesus loves his bride, the church. So I think that, that's why like, there's no marriage in heaven. But for those of us who deeply love our spouse, may that's still not very comforting. And so, like, here's what I'd find comfort in all this. Right? Here's where I try to find comfort in the fact that there is no marriage in heaven. It's this. Like, even though you won't be married necessarily to your spouse in the new age, even though there is no marriage, you will love your current spouse far better then than you do right now. And the love that you feel by them right now, you'll be more fully loved and cared for them by both them and Jesus in the new age. Much as I love my wife, like I still fail constantly to love her the way Christ loved the church. But in the new heavens, the new earth, when my sin is stripped away, I'll be able to love others perfectly, including my wife. Or as one writer put it, for those who hesitate at this remark because their marriage has been good, just remember, heaven will be better. But of course, it's not to be any comfort at all. You need to be confident that you'll be in heaven. You must be confident that you are among those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In verse 35 of the passage today, Jesus said, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. But the implication of that statement then is that there are those who will not be considered worthy. And so we will not cherish the resurrection if we're not among those who are worthy of the age to come. The resurrection is only good news worth cherishing for those who are considered worthy of being part of it. So the obvious question then is, what must I do to be considered worthy of taking part in the age to come? Jesus doesn't answer that question directly in this passage, but the Greek verb he uses for considered worthy gives us a clue. That word is kataxio, and it means counted worthy. It can even be translated made worthy. 
the important thing to see there is that like worthiness is not something we ourselves do. It's not something we can like, come from inside it, that we can will ourselves to work hard to be worthy. We can't do it that way. Worthy is something that God declared about us. And it's given to us by His grace. Because of our sin, none of us can ever be worthy in ourselves. Right? We just sang the song, Is He Worthy? And it, it ends with that joyous proclamation that He is. Right? It's only Jesus who is worthy. We are not worthy. Only Jesus is the one who is worthy. And yet God declared us worthy. He does that on the basis of Jesus' perfect righteousness. Like we are not worthy, but Jesus is. And when we put our faith in Jesus, God considered us to be worthy in His sight. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, Paul extolled all his virtues. He talked about what a great Pharisee he was, all the laws he kept, what a great person he was. And then he says this, I consider all that garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul understood that despite his many law-abiding works, the only way he could be worthy was not through his own effort. The only way he could be worthy was by being made worthy by God, by receiving righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Because Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live, then I went to the cross to die in order to suffer the penalty for sin that we deserve to suffer, we can receive Christ's righteousness. So the question again for you this morning is, can I cherish the resurrection? Because I know for myself that I will be considered worthy of the age to come. Do you have faith in Christ that you have received a righteousness from God? Not your own righteousness, but a righteousness that comes from God, given to you through faith. Have you trusted in Jesus? If not, I would urge you to do that. If you have questions about what that means, what that looks like to place your faith in Jesus, to rely on His righteousness and not your own righteousness. If you have questions about that, I would love to talk to you about that. But if you haven't trusted Jesus, I'd urge you to do that above all else. For those of us who are here who have placed our faith in Jesus, for those of us who are here who, who know that we have been made worthy by God through faith in Jesus, and I think this, this passage does two things for us. First, as I said earlier, it should remind us that like, we should not take too much joy or satisfaction in this life. We should not put all our hope in, in this life. Because doing so can diminish and tarnish our hope for the age to come. So there's, there's that piece. But mostly, the passage right, should should be an invitation to rejoice and, and find comfort and hope in the fact that this world is not all there is. should be encouraging and hopeful that this life is a vapor in comparison to eternity. 
And that though this life is marked by trials and by tribulation and by pain and by suffering, the passage reminds us that there is a coming a day and a coming soon when, when the dead will be raised to new life. That all who have fallen asleep in Christ will be raised. And those of us who have been counted worthy by God, we will spend eternity as the bride of Christ. <clears throat> we will spend eternity in, in the new heavens and the new earth where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering, there is no more sin, there is no more death. We can look forward to that eternity because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The passage should encourage us and give us hope in that future. Like we are forgetful creatures. It's easy for me, at least, to, to forget, to not hope too much in this life. Right? To get wrapped up in the good things of this life. To get wrapped up in greed and materialism. And to forget to not value this life too highly. It's easy for me to forget right, that my being considered worthy does not depend on my own self-effort, but on what Jesus did for me. But thankfully, God has given us tangible ways to remind ourselves of the truth of who Jesus is and what He did for us. And one of those ways is a communion. A communion kind of does two things for us. First, it reminds us of all that Christ suffered for us, right? as, we, as we take the bread, we are reminded that His body was broken on our behalf. And as we take the juice, we're reminded that His blood was poured out and spilled for us, because the, the author of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Right? So communion reminds us, it points us back to all that Christ did for us on the cross. But it also points us forward. It reminds us of the future hope and glory that will be shared by all of us who trust in Jesus. Communion points us forward to the day when all who have trusted in Him will be gathered together in the new heavens and the new earth. And we will partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. For the past few months, we've been taking communion together by, by coming forward as the music plays, and so in a few minutes I'll invite you to come forward, but one of the great things about why I value doing it this way, of coming forward, right, is that it allows us, as people come forward, to see each of us coming forward to partake of it together. It reminds us that there is coming a day when we will all be joined together again to partake in a meal. Like it reminds us that there is community aspect in communion that we'd all do this together. So in a few minutes the music will play. I think when they play when you are ready you may come forward and you grab a piece of bread, grab a piece of juice and, and return to your seat. And we will partake together when everyone is back in their seats. If you would rather not get up, if it's hard for you to get up or it's just easier for you to stay in your seat, you can raise your hand We'll have someone come by and they'll have a tray they'll bring to you and they can serve you communion that way if it's easier for you to just stay in your seat. If you prefer gluten-free elements, they're gluten-free in the, the wicker basket on the back of each table. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we... <clears throat> 
Thank you for this time together as your people. This time to hear your word and be reminded that the resurrection is real, that the resurrection is coming, that this life is not all there is. Jesus coming and dying on the cross and then being raised from the dead three days later, that he was just the first fruit of the resurrection. Because he was raised, we also will one day be raised to new life, eternal life with you in the new heavens and the earth if we have trusted in Jesus. God, would, looking forward to that day, would it give us encouragement and perseverance to face the trials that come with living in this sinful world? We take this communion meal now. Would we remember I'll let you just suffered for us, for our sin, and look forward to the day when we will participate in the marriage of the Lamb together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, when you're ready, come forward, grab the elements, return to your seats, and we will partake together when everyone has the elements. And as you're waiting in line, feel free to sing these songs with us. that cleanse
offer your grace to us through the work of Christ that we remember by taking this meal. We thank you. We praise you for all you've done for us in Christ. That we never lose sight of what a marvelous gift it is. Would we never grow weary of hearing and reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Would we constantly be willing to pour out our lives to see you glorified for all that you've done for us in Jesus? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake.
in the same way. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Partake. Father, thank you for this tangible reminder of who Jesus is, what he's done for us. Would it nourish our souls and move us and urge us and compel us to live lives that are all about seeing your name glorified. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you you go from here this morning, would you go remembering the reality of the resurrection, looking forward to the hope that is found in the new age of the resurrection? You are dismissed.